it's true that moms play an important role in our lives. Uh, a recent article uh, said that brain research is now showing that child development in the early years of his life is determined a lot by his environment. And that up until the age of three, environment is vital to the development of children, including their brain structure, how their brains operate, how they develop. And one of the most important factors in that is a mother's love and nurturing. That if that's not given in the first three years of life, it stunts literally the growth of their brain. As a result, we need to be asking the question, well, what does a mother's faith really look like? What does a mom's faith look like played out in normal life? Scripture has a lot to say about moms. There are over 300 verses that describe various aspects of motherhood or moms or people that are doing mothering activities. And the truth is that Scripture teaches first and foremost that no mom is able to make the difference that they need to make without God in their lives. That no mom is able to make the difference that they need to make without God in their lives. I made a decision really in the last couple of weeks that there was one subject I was not going to preach on today, and that was Hannah from the Old Testament. I determined that, you know, Mother's Day, you go to Hannah and you do a Hannah sermon, and I thought, I'm not going to do that today. I'm not going to preach on Hannah. I'm just going to do something else. And so I was working through something else, and as we were going through our daily Bible reading, our read through the Bible in a year, this week we happened to hit what? Hannah. And I opened up and I read that story and it was just amazing to me, the story of Hannah. And this morning I want to focus on two or three kind of obscure verses in the midst of the story of Hannah to talk about what a mother's faith really looks like. And what we can understand from that, whether you are a mom, whether you're uh, not a mom, that you can understand that these things are important as you look forward to raising children or as you look forward to nurturing the next generation towards Christ. And the first thing that I want to talk about this morning is this understanding that Hannah had about doing her motherly duties. All right, First Samuel. We'll be in First Samuel 2, and we're going to talk about Hannah. But here's what's going on. Israel is at a very important time in the life of the nation. They are in the process of transitioning from judges, who were just kind of these leaders that were there every now and then, to the kings. And in the midst of that, they needed someone to bridge the gap between judges and kings, and they needed a leader. Well, we kind of pull back from that story and get the story of a girl named Hannah. Now, Hannah was married to a guy named Elkanah, and Elkanah had Hannah and another wife. And the other wife had lots of kids, and Hannah had none. Now, Scripture tells us that it wasn't just that she had none, but that she probably couldn't have any, that she had this understanding that she wouldn't have any. Now, to make matters worse, in that day and time, being a woman who could not have children was about the worst thing that it could be. To make matters worse, her rival, and that's what the Scripture calls the other wife, her rival made fun of her all the time for not having any kids. Now, I don't know about you, but there are certain areas in my life where I know that I fall short. Anybody, anybody there with me? I mean, you know you have shortcomings. You know you have difficulties. You can't do certain things. And part of growing up and maturing is realizing your deficiencies. Well, the only thing that's worse about the deficiencies in your life is when other people recognize them and ridicule you for them. 
And Hannah was made fun of all the time because she couldn't have kids. The first uh, three or four years that, that I was pastoring, one of the most difficult days for me to preach was either Mother's Day or Father's Day. Because in that time period, doctors had told us that Susan and I could not have children. And it was just a constant reminder that we didn't have any kids. This is one of those things that's not, I haven't seen scientific evidence, I haven't seen studies, and I'm sure they're out there, I just haven't seen them. But it's interesting to me that there are a lot of people in my generation that have struggled with infertility. And about the only place I see in history where they struggled with it more was in the Scriptures, with God's people. And you have Hannah, who gets so distraught about this. She goes to the temple, and just year after year... Now, there is this funny little part where she's crying out to the Lord, and Elkanah comes up to her and says, Baby, am I not enough? It sounds like a bad pickup line, doesn't it? I mean, he says, Am I not worth ten sons to you? And I'm sure Hannah just went, No. And she cries out to the Lord so much that Eli, the prophet, the priest, the judge, literally comes to her and says, you've got to get out of here because you're drunk. Now, she wasn't drunk. She was just so distraught. And so you have this picture of Hannah, who is so distraught, crying at the temple of the Lord, tabernacle of the Lord, crying at the altar, saying, God, I need a son. I want a son. Can you give me a son? And she prays with all of her heart that God would give her a child. And guess what happens? You know the story, right? God does what? He gives her a child with a condition. Because when she said, God, please give me a child, she says, if you do, then I will give him back to you. There are three things I want us to see today. And the first is, coming out of this story, is that Hannah had the faith to do her motherly duties and to just simply do the mundane things. Turn over to chapter 2 in 1 Samuel, verse 18. Now, it just told us in verse 12 and following that Eli's sons were wicked. They were terrible. Verse 18 says, But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Verse 19. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. That's one of those verses that I'd read over many times and had read over many times. But for some reason this year when I read that, I got this picture of Hannah waiting all year long to see her child. I understand, I've said this before, some some stories in the Bible I understand better on this side of parenthood than I did on the other side. But I cannot imagine having a child Eli's age, Luke's age even, that I see once a year. And when I see him that once a year, I go to see him, but he's in the midst of performing priestly duties. And my responsibility was simply to give him to the temple, but then my job is to come and to bring him This one gift a year. Now, I'm going to assume that Samuel was not like my boys. Because my boys at Christmas, if they get a pair of jeans or pajamas, it gets thrown to the side very quickly. Anybody else have that experience? Oh, great, pajamas, Dad. Thanks. Where are the toys? 
I'd like to think that Samuel wasn't like that, but what I know was happening in Hannah's heart is that she was just continuing to do the things a mother would do. If Samuel was at home, she would be making clothes for him. She would be taking care of him. And she can't do that every day, so she thinks of the ways that she can continue in that. I read a poem this week. Many of you have probably read it. It's called Before I Was a Mom. And uh, just reminded me of some of the mundane things that moms do. Before I was a mom, I made and ate hot meals. I had unstained clothing. I brushed my hair every day. I had quiet conversations on the phone. I slept as late as I wanted, and I slept all night long. Before I was a mom, I cleaned my house every day. I never tripped over toys or forgot lullabies. I didn't worry whether or not my plants were poisonous. I had never been puked on, pooped on, spit on, chewed on, peed on, or pinched. Before I was a mom, I never thought about immunizations. I never held a screaming child so the doctors could give a shot. I never looked into teary eyes and cried. I never felt my heart break into pieces when I couldn't stop the hurt. I never got gloriously happy over a simple grin. Before I was a mom, I never held a sleeping baby just because I didn't want to put it down. I never sat up late in the night watching a baby sleep. I never got up in the middle of the night just to make sure everything was okay. I didn't know how special it was to feed a hungry baby. Before I was a mom, I had complete control of my body, my thoughts, and my mind. I didn't know the feeling of having my heart outside my body. I didn't know that having something so small could make me feel so important. I never knew the warmth, the joy, the love, the heartache, the wonderment, the satisfaction of being a mom. Before I was a mom, I never knew that something so small could affect my life so much. I never knew that I could love someone so much. I never knew I would love being a mom. I didn't know the bond between a mother and her child, and I didn't know I was capable of feeling so much. Over the last four months, Susan and I have had the opportunity to experience one of the greatest things in life, which is watching our little girl grow and develop into a four-month-old. Big, big monument. We hit four months last week. And in that time, you do a lot to take care of that child. I was thinking about just in the last 24 hours or so, what Susan has done to help take care of Maddie. Um, you know, we changed outfits three times yesterday. Not because Susan was, you know, dressing her for the occasion, because we had diapers that did not work properly. And when they don't work properly, you change outfits. We, uh, Susan fed Madeline several times yesterday. We changed other diapers, some poopy, some not, uh, yesterday. We uh, rocked her to sleep. We listened to her cry. We... Uh, tried to figure out what was wrong with her. Um, we made doctor's appointments. And then I got a text this morning. Uh, got, a, got here, got to work, was getting ready to, to, you know, get everything going. And Susan just sent me this text that says, Maddie up at 1230, 430, 6, and 730. I'm tired. She's here. She's not in here. She's keeping Maddie in ETC because it's Mother's Day and we needed someone in ETC. And when you have a child in ETC and it's Mother's Day, you end up in ETC on Mother's Day. Just mundane things, but they mean so much. Laundry at our house never stops. You might figure that out yet. You might figure out how to get that to stop. We've got one of those big 
high-efficiency washers, and it doesn't put a dent in it sometimes. She feeds our boys all the time. Eli is going through his 7, 8, 9, and 10-year-old growth spurts right now. Eli eats every day breakfast, snack number one, snack number two, lunch. As soon as he gets in from school, he wants three pieces of bologna, just what he eats, plain, nothing else, just bologna. He wants chips. He wants drink. We eat supper. He eats everything for supper. He wants a dessert after supper. And then he wants a full peanut butter sandwich before he goes to bed. I make 180 grocery trips a week just for Eli. I do not want to think about those two boys in about eight years, right? They're both teenagers. I don't want to think about the fact that ten years from now I'm going to be feeding three. But she just, you know, she just does it. One thing I admire most about Susan and all moms is you just do it. Whatever's got to be done. And I know sometimes in the midst of just doing the things that have to be done, it doesn't seem like you're doing very much, but you are. And one of the things Hannah did, I mean, it seems like a small thing, and you say, Pastor, you're making a big point out of a robe. But it was her way of doing what she could. And moms, you just have to have the faith to keep doing the mundane things. Here's the second thing. You have to have the faith to let your children put God first. Now, if I went out there and asked you, hey, how many of you want you to put your, your kids to put God first? Well, absolutely, that's what we want. Well, do you mean that? I mean, do you really mean that? I'm reading a book about a pastor in Alabama who uh, went back to a church that he had worked with, had been really good with him, and he was telling him about these trips he's taken all over the world. And uh, he was telling about the, the need for the gospel to go and that God's called us to go, and he was meeting with the deacons and uh, pastor before service, and they, they began to talk, and they said, well, we are glad that you are called to that kind of place, and we and our families are not. He's like, I don't think I heard that correctly. So he's in service, and he got ready to get introduced, and they introduced him. They said, Here's the, you remember this guy who was with us? He's gone all over the world now. And he said he began to talk about how that he had gone to all these places in the world, and we're so glad that he goes to those places. And then he said for the next five or ten minutes, he talked about how great it was to live in America and how glad he was that he hadn't been called there to the other places. And he said he was thinking about this, and, I'd heard him tell that story besides what's in the book. And he was talking about the fact that he was thinking about how bad it was. He talked about preaching mad that day, that, that, you know, he was just upset that whole day. And he said that he was thinking about it later and it, all the, how terrible it was. And uh, in a conversation or a, pro, or a process or something or talking, he said all of a sudden it just hit him that the truth is most believers in America may not verbalize that, but they believe it. And that moms and dads all across the country are not really wanting their kids to put God first because of what that might mean if they do. Hannah had waited for years for this boy. And she says, God, if you give me a son, I'll make him put you first. Now, in order to do that, you have to do the third thing, which is you have to have faith to let go. You have to have faith to give him up and to let go. It tells us back in 1 Samuel 1 that Hannah, when he was still young, took Samuel 
and she gave him to Eli the prophet. He says, you remember me? I'm the drunk girl. Remember that? Here's my son. Thinking about Mother's Day, I was thinking about one of the greatest gifts my mom has ever given me. Um, I was growing up, we, we were a part of church, but we, weren't, we were not the there-all-the-time family at church. I mean, we went to church. My brother, when he was in high school, was really active in youth group, especially in his late junior high, early high school years. Um, I would go to the children's stuff, always did BBS. Uh, my grandparents were very involved. My grandparents, uh, Gramps and Granny, were, uh, you know, discipleship training directors, Sunday school teachers, BBS teachers. They were very um, they were very dedicated. My dad happened to work in a job that required him to work seven days a week for most of my formative years, and so he didn't get to go to church all the time. And so Mom would take us, and we went most Sundays, but not every Sunday. And when I was young, my brother's five and a half years older than me, um, Brian felt called to ministry. He went to camp one year, and he came back, and he said, I think I'm called to ministry. And I remember um, my, my mom and dad struggling with that a little bit. You know, are you sure? Do you need to pray about that? Or, you know, how do you know? Are you sure about that? And uh, my brother eventually decided that he wasn't supposed to go into ministry. He was supposed to be a lawyer. I don't know how you get from there. I mentioned that Wednesday night. I don't know how you get from that to lawyer. But in my parents, I know in their hearts, did uh, you know, it's one of those things. On the outside, you do the, well, we'd love for our children to go into ministry. That would be great. But on the inside, there was a little bit of, whew, it's good, you know. Glad that kind of passed. Well, a year later, I come back from camp. And I say, guess what, Mom and Dad? I'm called to ministry. And I remember my mom, who apparently had dealt with this with the Lord on her own, pulled me aside that afternoon that I kind of told him that. And she said, Lyle, a few months ago, I prayed the prayer of Hannah. And I said, Lord, if you want either one of my boys, you can have them. And she said, I came out of a real and sincere place, and I just want you to know, Lyle, that we are with you 100%. Now, my parents have some more to me like you wouldn't believe in doing what I'm doing. And I'm convinced that if I would have come in and said, God has called me to the most remote part of Asia that is 100% Muslim, and I'm called to go there and spread the gospel, and I may be killed, they would have been a little upset frightened wise that they would have said go one of the ways I know that is because they supported me in doing this when I started preaching I was not good at all now some of you say well (laughs) ain't a lot changed in a few years but I was not good at all and my parents went every time I literally one of the first places I preached at was a little community outside of Dyersburg called Evansville and Evansville the first Sunday I preached there had like 17 people there nine of whom were my family. We had two decisions that morning, though. It was good. But they went everywhere. My mom has followed me to, to Memphis, Tennessee, to Ripley, Tennessee, to Fort Worth, Texas, to Judson College in Alabama. She has gone all over the place to sit and listen to me talk. Now, the truth is, she gets enough of me talking when I sit in their living room. And it's just a sign that, Lyle, we believe in you, and we're giving you to the Lord. Now, there is not a place today that you can literally take your child like she took Samuel and say, here he is. But it's important that each one of us as parents is willing to say, here they are. 
take them, Lord, whatever you want to do. And let me ask you this question, and this is what I'll close with. How would you react if, you're, if you've got grown children or you've got teenagers or you've got young children? How would you react if they came up to you and said, God has called me to go and it's to a place that is dangerous, it's to a place that is in desperate need of the gospel? Would you say, no, not going to happen? Would you be willing to pray about it? That's the Baptist term, right? Let me pray about it. Or would you say, Lord, they're yours? What if your grown child who has a successful business or just finishing a degree that's taken them into a successful career came and said, I'm giving it all up. I'm moving out west, and I'm going to start a church. That's what God's called me to do. How would you feel? Because the truth is what God calls us to do is not to make them do our thing or what we think they ought to do for the Lord, but it's just to give Him our kids and say they're yours. In the desert song, there was a line, and I'm not going to get it right, but there was a line that just struck me this morning that basically said, we realize that we are filled to be emptied again. And the seed that I've been given, I will sow again. Now the truth is, God has given me my children just as He's given me other things, talents, gifts to invest. And part of what my job is as a parent is to help them to grow to the place where I can send them out for His glory. They are to be held as loosely as other stuff in God's economy. And the question is this morning, are you willing to do that with yours?